0: I was thinking about temporary things this week, and I realized that uh, there are lots of temporary things in my house, pizza being one of them. I don't know if uh, you experienced this, but literally, I kid you not, pizza appears, and it disappears. And I go out and buy it again, and it appears, and then it disappears. My children are like vultures. It's so bad, in fact, that I sometimes bring the pizza in the house. I'll always say, pizza guy, and they run to the door and grab it from me. And then I immediately kind of sneak a piece and set it aside. Because sometimes if I don't set aside a piece of pizza for me, I will not get any pizza at all. In my house, pizza is temporary. I will, of course, admit that I am the key contributor to the fact that chocolate cake is also very temporary in my house. <laughs> I'm that husband who sometimes, if the cake is really good, will uh, sneak down late at night just because I cannot resist having one one more peace. I am so legendarily in love with chocolate cake, in fact, that my parishioners sometimes uh, drop them off at my house, and that is both wonderful and embarrassing at the same time. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the chocolate cake is temporary, but your love handles are forever. Thank you very much. I love you too. Um, The effectiveness of deodorant is temporary, I often say to my kids, did you put deodorant on today? Yeah, Dad, I did. I'm like, doesn't smell like it, right? They have to apply more than the average ordinary adult does. The effectiveness of deodorant is temporary. And we talked about pizza and we talked about chocolate cake, but really all food is temporary in my house. We are blessed to have five teenagers living in our house with us right now through this season of social distancing. My four kids plus our exchange student, and so you would not believe how quickly all the food in my house disappears. From the Christian point of view, there are two things that are also temporary, and it's my great joy to share those with you today. I'm here to tell you with joy that suffering and even death itself are temporary, too. And this is beautifully illustrated as we finish the book of Genesis Today with Genesis chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household, only the children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father, Seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was called Avel Mitzrayim, the sorrow of the Egyptians. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave at the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he'd buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, get this right here, this is beautiful. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive, as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Menasheh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but... We come to the last Keystone Habit, Keystone Habit number 14. You'll see the definition for Keystone Habits on screen. I hope you've enjoyed these 14. Uh, In the next week, we will provide an entire listing of the Keystone Habits for you, so you can... Print them out or save them somewhere or put them on your phone so you can reference them as we move forward into the future. Keystone habit number 14. A keystone habit, importantly, is the kind of habit that cascades into other areas in your life. Here we have it, the last one in this series. Live by the ultimate words that God meant it for good. God meant it for good is kind of the heart of the Joseph story. Live by those ultimate words that God meant it for good. The big idea for today's sermon is that the situation you find yourself in right now is temporary. Obviously, the subtext to this sermon is the COVID-19 crisis that is sweeping the globe. Many of you are being affected by this. My family is being affected by this. I am here to tell you this morning, as a Bible-preaching pastor who loves you, that the situation you now find yourself in is temporary. I get this big idea out of the last verse Of Genesis chapter 50, verse 26, where we read, So, Joseph died, being 110 years old, they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So, here's my question. When they put him in that coffin, did he stay in Egypt? The answer, of course, is no, he did not. We know that because of the words of Exodus chapter 13... Verses 18b through 19, here they are. And the people of Israel, this is after the Exodus, after they'd been freed from captivity in Egypt. The people of Egypt went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. So the answer is no. Joseph did not stay in his coffin in Egypt. I just want to point out how remarkable it is. It's just one of those things that you could miss if I didn't draw attention to it. That in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph makes his brothers solemnly swear to take his bones up with them when God leads them up out of Egypt back to their homeland in Canaan. And then hundreds of years later, when Moses himself comes to free God's people from captivity in Egypt, the big story with the ten plagues and the let my people go narrative... Hundreds of years later, Moses remembers because God's people, the descendants of the sons of Israel, had remembered to send up Joseph's bones with him. So no, Joseph did not stay in his coffin in Egypt. So next question, did he stay buried in Canaan? Well, the answer to that is technically yes. His uh, body is still there. His remains would still be there. But let me remind you that even death is temporary. Jenny read this off the top, but it bears repeating, "...behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed." For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but... Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Somebody say hallelujah. Therefore, always be immovable, steadfast, abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because death is has lost its sting. Even death is temporary. So I hope you're asking the question as you're sitting there in your living room with your coffee. Thank you, Pastor Todd. But how then do I endure temporary seasons of difficulty and death? Okay? Yes, it's temporary. It's nice to know. But can you bring it a little closer? Can you help me with some practical tips on how to endure those temporary seasons of difficulty and death? Yes, I can help you. Here's the big idea. You can endure seasons of difficulty and death by leaning into the goodness of God. Leaning into the goodness of God. The goodness of God is real. The goodness of God exists all by itself. I want to invite you to lean into the goodness of God. As I often do when I'm preaching, I want to give you some pictures of what that goodness looks like. In fact, I have 20 pictures of what the goodness of God looks like. And I always get laughed at when my sermons have so many points, 15 points, 12 points, 20 points. One time I preached a 37-point sermon. Let me remind you, if you're watching me for the first time today, that I don't pick and choose. I preach an entire chapter, and I try and faithfully expose every point that I think has resonance, okay? So I'm not deciding to eliminate these seven for the sake of time. Yes, I'm going to try and get through this in a timely manner, but I want you to know that I just come to the text, and I say, Lord, speak to me, and every point that floats to the surface, I believe God intends for you to hear today. Not because you'll necessarily remember all 20 points, but because amongst those 20, I hope there's at least one that might change your life today. And so I have for you this morning 20 pictures of goodness from Genesis chapter 50 that I want to invite you to lean into. Picture number one. Grief is good. Okay, grief is a picture of goodness. Grief is good. I get this out of verse 3. And the Egyptians wept for him. They wept for Jacob 70 days. You're thinking, grief is good? Grief doesn't feel good. Grief is good. I asked my wife, Nicole, who's a Just finishing her master's in psychotherapy, I said, can you give me a pithy statement, some kind of quote on the goodness of grief? She said, sure I can. She, in fact, had just finished writing an entire research paper on grief this week. And she quoted to me Hillary McBride, who is a very well-known therapist working in the North American context. If you listen to the Liturgist podcast, she is kind of their new therapist in residence. So this quote comes via Nikki Candelon from Hillary McBride. You have to feel it to heal it. That's why grief is good. You have to feel it to heal it. So I just want to say if you have been grieving some losses in this season, go ahead and grieve them. Do not push them to the side. Do not pretend like everything is okay. Okay? It's not. This is a time of difficulty, for some, despair, for others, a season of death, a season of loss. It is okay to grieve. Grieve your losses this week. Maybe take a quiet moment by yourself to think about one thing that you have lost in this season and then grieve it. It's okay because grief is good. Moving on is also good. That's uh, point number two. I find this in verse four. And when the days of weeping for him were past, isn't it good to know that there's a time to weep and there's a time for joy? The time of weeping was past let me remind you of the beautiful words from psalm 23 yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death let me say with all the faith i can muster hoping to evoke a similar response in you that this season we are in has come to pass okay it has not come to stay by god's grace it has come to pass so let us quote for each other this morning the immortal words of dear Walt Disney, and encourage and exhort one another to keep moving forward. If this season has come to pass, you and I need to find the strength we can find today to keep moving forward. And sometimes moving forward just looks like taking one step. Moving on is good. So is the grind. The grind is good. Point number three from verse four. If now I have found favor in your eyes... How did Joseph find favor in the eyes of the Egyptian? By doing good work through the course of years. Okay, You buy credibility with the work that you do. I was struck as I wrote this that I think I'm a pretty great person. And I thought if I think I'm a pretty great person, you probably think that you're a pretty great person. Then I realized that if you and I think that way, most of the people we know also think that they're pretty great people. So then I got thinking, well, not everybody can be super great. So, if not everybody can be super great, who's really great? And I think the people who are great are the people who act like it. I get this from one of my early screenwriting teachers, and uh, halfway quoting Sid Field and halfway quoting Aristotle. Action is character. You are what you repeatedly do. Joseph would have had to grind for years and years and years, faithfully serving the people of Egypt. And then one day, when he needed them, he could cash in those credibility chips, and he could ask them for help. Action is character. The grind is beautiful. So, quoting Stephen King, another great writer, get busy living. What's it going to look like for you this week to grind it out? What's it going to look like for you this week to get busy living in the midst of a temporary sojourn in the valley of the shadow Of death, The grind is good. So is leveraging your credibility. You earn the credibility by grinding it out, but then point number four, the day will come when it's time to leverage that credibility, or in other words, to ask for help. This is something that many of us are not very good at doing. We are not very good at asking for help. But Joseph here asks for help in verse four. Please speak in the ears of Pharaoh. If, when you need help, ask for it. If you need help in this season, ask for it. Practically speaking, if we can help you as a church, ask for it. Let us know. Send us an email infogracecommunity.ca. We would love to help you any way we can. Reach out to your neighbors, reach out to your social network, and see if you can help. But when you need help, ask for it. Because leveraging your credibility to get the help that you need is good. So is knowing your place. That's point number five. I get point number five out of verse five then I will return. He asks Pharaoh to let him go, bury his father, but then he promises to come back. Why? Because he knows his place. From this I get a teachable point that I personally am quite uncomfortable with. Stay where God put you. Me, I want to move every six months. I don't know if you're like this. If you are, holler at me. Say, me too, Pastor Todd. I'm the kind of person who likes to move. Every I, I love moving. I love new challenges. I love new things. It is hard for me to stay where God put me. But Joseph knew his place. It's good to know your place. It is good to stay where God put you. It's also good to come full circle. That's point number six. I get that out of verse nine. I think it's just beautiful that when they returned Jacob's body for burial in Canaan, it was a very great company who did so. Notice, let's not miss the juxtaposition of the two. When Jacob and his family first came south to Egypt. Originally, they were a ragtag group of 70 near-starved family members. That occurred in Genesis chapter 46. And now, all these years later, there are hundreds, perhaps thousands of people traveling north to bury the patriarch after 70 days of national mourning in Egypt. This is to me is proof of Joel chapter 2 verse 25 coming true I will restore to you the years that the locust has stolen I want you to just hold that image in your mind of Jacob and his 70 family members fleeing south from Canaan near starved, seeking refuge in Egypt, and then years later, this mass procession of all the elders of Pharaoh's household, and in fact, all the elders of the nation of Egypt. Imagine, you're just an elder living in Egypt, and you just get an announcement one day saying, guess what, you have to travel north, because Joseph, Pharaoh's number two, is going to bury his dad, and you have to go as part of his honor guard. This is a picture of Restoration. I want to tell you this morning that the God that we know and love enjoys bringing His friends full circle. This means that you and I can count on restoration because it's coming. Restoration is on its way. Coming for a circle is good. So is point number seven, forgiveness. Forgiveness is good. I get this out of verse 17. Please forgive the transgression of your brothers. So after... Joseph and his brothers have buried their father in the cave of Machpelah, in the fields that Abraham had bought from Ephron the Hittite, outside of Mamre. It's near Hebron. In fact, if you go to Hebron today, you can't really go there anymore, but when I was a boy, you could. There's actually a big cave in the heart of Hebron that they believe is the cave of the patriarchs. There are no bodies there, of course, and who knows if it's actually the cave, but there is a massive cave in Hebron where this actually happened. So after they go and bury him in that cave, they head back to Egypt. They settle back into their places. And wouldn't you know it, Joseph's brothers get nervous. They're like, "Mm, I don't know. Maybe now that dad's dead, Joseph is going to take this opportunity to get back at us. And so what do they do? They ask for forgiveness. Verse 17, please forgive the transgression of your brothers. I want to um, just encourage you this morning. If there is somebody in your life whom you need to forgive, Go and do it right away. There is no time like a time of desperation to do what you have so desperately needed to do for a long time but have put off doing. Forgiveness is miracle grow for the soul. Okay, It is miracle grow. It will supercharge the life of God in your life. And if you are not forgiving, the bitterness that comes from that will strangle the, lo- the life of God at work in your life. How do I know? Forgive one another because God has forgiven you. Ephesians 4, verse 32. So, If uh, there's somebody you need to forgive, go and do it this week. Do not poison your life with unforgiveness, because forgiveness is good, and so is deep emotion. Point number eight, I get this out of verse 17. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. I just wanted to point out, really because it makes (laughs) makes me feel a little better about myself, because I'm always breaking down crying. Can I just point out how God's friends are always weeping and kissing and hugging and snotting? Okay? Can you just remember, please, next time you see Pastor Todd bawling at the front of church, next time you see one of your friends weeping in God's presence, that that's biblical. In fact, that is patriarchal. That is matriarchal. God's friends are always breaking down with emotion. What's the teachable point for you? Maybe it's time for a little less stiff upper lip and a little more softiness. Maybe that word is for you. It's time for you to stop pretending like you've got life by the horns and uh, admit your weakness, admit your vulnerability. Maybe it's time for you to, instead of cultivating a tough exterior, to cultivate a habitually meek exterior and a gentle and a contrite heart because deep emotion and showing it, letting that deep emotion access the deep parts of your soul is good and so is devotion. Point number nine out of verse 19. They ask him for forgiveness and he says, Am I in the place of God? I love that Joseph knows his place. He gets this because he's God's friend. He gets this because he has devoted his life to relationship with God. His relationship with God goes back very, very many years. He is a devoted friend of God. Devotion is good because it changes your perspective. I just want to remind you that who you are comes into sharper relief when you learn who God is. I just want to remind you that I Stay in my Bible every single day. You would have seen me doing this online this week on social media. I stay in my Bible every single day. I stay in worship every single day. Why? Because I never get to the point where I don't need to know more of who God is. Because as I begin to discover more and more of who God is, who I am in light of that comes into sharper relief. There's a very good chance that you know somebody who doesn't really know who they are or what they are meant to be doing with their life, and usually that is because they have a very, very myopic view of who God is. Let me invite you this week, especially in this season where you have a little more time on your hands, to dig deeply into your relationship with God, because devotion is good. And so is God's plan for you. This is point number 10, I get it out of verse 20, but God meant it for good. Let me take my leisure with this point. Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. But God meant it for good is the heart of Joseph's story. Let me remind you here of the immortal words of Romans 8, 28. All receive it. All things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Okay, I know it's hard for you to believe right now. I'll say it again. Let the words wash over you. Maybe even just put your hands out right now to receive it. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called. God meant it for good. Let me encourage you to embrace his plan. Let me encourage you to lay your plans at his feet and to embrace his plan. Put simply, here's how you ought to live. Love God, do what he says. It's so simple and beautiful. Love God and do what he says because his plan is good. So is his love for the many. That's point number 11. God's love for the many is good. I get this out of verse 20. God meant it for good that many people should be kept alive and i know if you're a lifer kind of christian that anytime a preacher talks about god loving the many that you hear the words of matthew 7 14 echoing in your heart and minds and they echo in mind too narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life and few are those who find it so we embrace the teaching of matthew 7 okay we know that it is difficult to walk with jesus and we know that the gate to him is narrow Okay, So we do not take that for granted and we embrace the scariness and the tension of that verse. But we hold that verse in tension with the equally famous 2 Peter 3, nine. It is His will, God's will, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So here's how I deal with that tension. Whenever someone asks me about that pastorally, I always say, look, I am going to leave that to God while counting on the fact That I expect the few to be many, many more than I ever imagined. And that is enough for me. And so in the meantime, I want to invite you to learn to focus on loving everyone like God. That's the simple recipe right there. How do you navigate this? Simple. Love everyone like God. Because God's love for the many is good and so is God. Fearlessness, point number 12 out of verse 21. So, do not fear. Let me remind you here that perfect love casts out fear. In the famous words of 1 John 4, 18, is there a particular fear that you need to cast out of your life this week? Let me encourage you to do it. Find a quiet place, identify the fear, name it, maybe write it down. Maybe write it on a piece of paper. Rip the piece of paper up, ball it up, and throw it as far away from you as you can. First thing, go pick it up and put it in the trash. If you have a fireplace, maybe burn it. Is there a fear that you need to cast out this week? Because perfect love casts out fear. I want to just remind you that God invites you to be fearless. Wouldn't fearlessness be helpful these days? It sure would. Fearlessness is good. So is provision. Point number 13 out of verse 21. I will provide, says Joseph, for your life little ones and anytime i hear anybody promising provision the words of philippians 419 echo in my mind my god shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in christ jesus do you believe it today i know it's difficult even for me it's difficult i know these are trying times Press into the personality of God. Press into the promises of God. And say these words over yourself until you begin to believe them for real. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. Let me invite you to intentionally, persistently bring one need before the Lord this week. Not the 17 that you have, one. Is one even coming to mind right now as you're listening to me? Identify it. Write it down. And persistently, all week long, bring that one need before the Lord and see what He'll do. Provision is good. And so is comfort. Point number 14 out of verse 21. Thus, Joseph comforted them and spoke, in the original, kindly to them, but in the Hebrew, and spoke to their hearts. Comfort. Do you need a little comfort? Like me, or you? One of my, uh, sent me a funny text this week. He said, I can hear myself getting fatter. And I said, yes and amen. It's true for me too. We all need a little comfort and that comfort is on its way. Blessed to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. I love that. Comfort. God comforts you so that you can comfort others. The comfort of God moves to you so that it can move through you. That's what comfort is all about. So find your comfort in him, and then once you have found yourself able to settle into that comfort, share that comfort with Others. Comfort is good, so is flourishing in place. Point number 15 out of verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He stayed where God had put him and he flourished there. He worked there. Put in today's vernacular, he made lemonade from lemons there. Is there some lemonade you need to make from the lemons in your life? Like Joseph, is there an area? of unchosen pain in your life that you can begin redeeming by God's help through the working of His Spirit in you because Jesus has redeemed you? Maybe even now, listening to me, you know that one area of unasked-for pain. You didn't ask for this to happen. In fact, the crisis that we find ourselves in is one such massive example. None of us asked for this to happen, and yet it is happening. We didn't ask for this. Can you take this season of unasked-for pain And find a way to begin redeeming it because Christ has redeemed you. This is the point of the gospel. That in God the Son made flesh. Jesus Christ, God the Son, suffering and dying on the cross in your place for your sin. Actually dying the death that you should have died. And then rising again as the first fruits of all those who will one day rise again from death. In Jesus, we have a picture of the ultimate hope. And not just the picture, but the reality itself. Because he died and rose again, death no longer has power over you. And one day when you die, if you belong to Jesus, you will rise again to be with him, even as he is. Death has lost its victory. The grave has lost its sting. New life has sprung. God is all about new life. That's why kids and family are good. Point number 16 out of verse 23. Joseph flourished. How do I know? Because he saw his son Ephraim's kids to the third generation. That's so Israeli. Right? He lived so long that he saw his son's children to the third generation. Hey! Right? Something to celebrate. You may not have kids in your life, or maybe you've had enough of the kids in your life. You're like, oh Lord, this is crazy. Okay, it doesn't matter where you fit on that spectrum. Find some new life to lay hold of this week. Okay, find it. You will see it in your life. Believe it or not, when you find new life this week, lay hold of it. Why? Because God is with you. Because incarnation is good. Point number 17 out of verse 24. But God has, God will visit you. Okay, Joseph promises to his brothers, he's prophesying here, the day will come when God will visit you and will take you up from this land. He will take you home. Anytime I hear anybody saying that God will visit, I hear the immortal words of Luke chapter 1, verse 78. In my mind, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, prophesying the dayspring from on high has visited us. Friend, let me encourage you to watch for the dayspring, even in your darkest night. Incarnation is good. What you need, what I need, is for God to step in. And that is what has happened in the Word made flesh. In God the Son becoming the man Jesus, God Himself has stepped in to your story and mine. Incarnation is good, and so is homecoming point number 18 out of verse 24. God will visit you. And what? He will bring you up out of this land to the land that He swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This blew my mind when I wrote it. Why? Because we are still in that same story. This is not just the story of Joseph. This is not just the story of his father, Jacob. This is not just the story of his grandfather, Isaac. This is not just the story of his great-grandfather, Abraham. This, my friend, in Christ, is your... Whoa, I can't take it. This is your story, too. We are still in the same story, and so therefore it is time for you, my friends, to embrace an ancient kind of confidence. An ancient kind of confidence because, point number 19, keeping promises is also good. And that's exactly what God does in verse 24. That He swore. He will take you up to the land that he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not forget, it's been a while since I preached to you out of Genesis chapter 15 verse 18, but that is where God swears to Abraham that he will inherit this land. It's been a while since we were in Genesis 26 verse 3, but it is there that God swears the same thing to Abraham's son Isaac, saying that this land will be his... And it's been a while since we were in Genesis chapter 28, verse 13, but it was there that God made that same promise to Jacob. And if you want to distill it down to one pithy sentence, here is the promise of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And through, his, through their descendants to you and me today, as we are in Christ, to you and to your descendants after you, I will give this land and in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Do not miss the fact. Receive it this morning. You have been promised two things. You have been promised a homeland, and you have been promised a savior. And let me remind you this morning, quoting the words of 2 Corinthians 1:20, all the promises of God are yes and amen. All his promises are our yes and amen. So that promise of a homeland and that promise of a Savior is something you can count on because in the words of Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. John 14, 1-3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me, says Jesus. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. These are some of the greatest words of comfort In all the scriptures, your Jesus says to you this day, Where I am, you will be also. And Kath, you can come join me because I'm almost done. Let me hear, let me tell you this morning that like Joseph, you are not staying in a coffin in Egypt. Okay, point number 20 remembering that death is a temporary destination is good. I get this out of verse 26. And he, so Joseph died. He lived to 110 and then he died. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And there he will lie until the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And who, my dear friends, blows that trumpet for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Does that bring you comfort this morning? It does me. And thus we shall Always be with the Lord. Just like Joseph wasn't staying in Egypt, you are not staying in this season of death and despair. You, my friend, are going to the promised land. And uh, that sounds pretty good to me.